All right, good evening. Got a little bit too fired up. I forgot my Bible, but I have it now. And I'm not sure if everyone else saw this, but as, as John Atkins was explaining the hope to us, I saw among us someone who resembled one of these superheroes, and I just had to show it to you to see if you feel like you see what I see. Now, look at this, and look at the guy on the, on the left. And te- who? Just... Just the first person that comes to your mind. I mean, that's John Salute. Is that, you are robbing this year, bro. That's awesome. I'm so excited to pass the mantle. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, you could borrow the costume. Uh, May is gone. It's been a great month. There were a lot of great things that happened. Last week, we met at the Papatua Nuku Murai. That was awesome. That was a fantastic service. So thanks for everybody that helped out. Agnes and Kali and Jody and Duncan and the song leaders and everybody. That was just a fantastic time. That was great. And we're looking forward to working together with them in December for the Hope Volunteer Corps. And the month of May, we saw four people baptized. That's awesome. Saw Sophia Tan. Where is Sophia? Is she, she here? She was baptized. Alex and Jacqueline in the back, they were baptized this month as well. And then recently on Sunday, Marisol was baptized. She's over here as well. That's awesome. And then May from the Guangzhou Church is here uh, with us as well. She's been added to our membership. So... Very cool, very exciting. That, that's that's uh, awesome what God is doing. And just a couple of housekeeping things before we dive into the scriptures. First of all, the kids' ministry is doing awesome things. They're doing incredible stuff. But we've had two people join their team. So I just wanted to recognize those because they'll be joining our creative coordinators, the Villons and the McDonald's, helping out with the kids' ministry. And that is... Vivian, she's joining. Is she down there tonight? She's, well, she's already hard at work doing her thing. And then Jane Ewing is also joining as well. It's Jane, who's also downstairs tonight as well. So there you go. And make sure you check in your kids on time. On Sundays, the cutoff is 1010, I believe. Or, yeah, 1010. Is that correct? Pardon? Richard knows? <laughs> Make sure you check them in on time. 10 to 10. Whoa, I was way off. <laughs> Amen. And then this, this is the last holiday weekend where we meet in the evening. So from, from this point forward, when we have a holiday weekend, we won't have evening service. We'll just have house church. Because many people go away and they don't really come back for the service. That was the whole idea. But it, it, so just go away and have fun on the holiday weekends or go to house church. All right? No, no more evening services because it's just... It's awesome to worship God in the evening, but I feel like it's strange. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. I don't know if you ever look at Google Trends. Anybody ever look at Google Trends in their spare time? Of course, Gillen does. But if... (laughs) I I do it every day. So there's a topic that trends... All over the world, it's pretty, pretty consistent, and, and you'll see in the top left, it's the topic of courage. And so the blue line kind of shows you when it's peaking, when people are researching it, and, and how consistently they research it. And the topic of courage never really takes a dive. This is a worldwide search where it's pretty consistent for the past year. People are Googling some, some topic of how can I be more courageous? How can I have 
courage. And I, I believe that most of us don't want just momentary courage. Like, how can I be courageous for just one moment? I believe all of us want consistent lifetime courage. And I, I think that's kind of uh, pointing to that. People are Googling this on a, on a consistent basis. If you follow Jesus, the truth is that requires a lot of courage. It requires heaps of courage. And, and so our passage today gives us these three concepts that connect to this idea of courage. Because everybody's looking for it. And I believe God truly gives us courage through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at these three concepts after we pray and then read Acts chapter 4 together. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. God, we are grateful to come together and worship and take communion and have fellowship and sing to you, Father. I pray that, that this isn't just a gathering on an evening. It's something very divine where we all come together and we say that you are Lord of our lives. We drink the blood and the, and the body of Jesus and, and we look at your scriptures and we really try to model our lives after you. And I pray that tonight the spirit really opens our eyes, our minds, our heart, whatever needs to be open to really help us come to you and follow you more closely as individuals and as a body of Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start reading in Acts chapter 4 and read till verse 31. In Acts chapter 4, we're studying the book of Acts and it's the early church. It's on its honeymoon phase until this chapter. And things start to shift. In verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's just the men in Acts chapter 2. It's 3,000. The church explodes to 5,000, even more, at simple preaching of the word. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? This is, this is almost a replica of Jesus on trial. The same characters, the same kind of questions. And then verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. But there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. In verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? 
These guys are stuck. The guy that's been healed is standing there before them. Verse 16. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, this thing, to stop this thing, that's the way they view it, from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied almost simultaneously, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. There's a reversal here. They're, they're trying them. And now they put them on trial. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They cannot decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And then it concludes in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, to the church, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord. They said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Such a powerful passage. Until this point in the book of Acts, no resistance at all. I mean, it's phenomenal. When Peter preaches, thousands get baptized. When a need arises, everybody pitches in and the needs get met. When there's a church event, everyone turns up. I mean, it's like everything's going right. Until chapter 4, and the mood starts to shift. This healing, which happened earlier in our text, a layman gets healed, and it causes a stir among the people. Then it attracts the attention of the authorities. The authorities, they start to clamp down. You can't talk about this anymore. The opposition starts to rise, and the honeymoon phase of the church starts to end, and they'll start catching some persecution. And in order to keep spreading the gospel in this context... The Holy Spirit will fill them with great courage. Over and over and over. Three times in this passage, the idea of courage is mentioned in verse 13. And it's translated from one word in in the original language. But when they saw the courage of Peter and John, that's verse 13. They witnessed this. They see these guys are courageous. In verse 29 in the prayer, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The exact same word. And then again in verse 31, the Holy Spirit filled them and they spoke the word of God boldly. That's the same word all three times. The Greek word parousia, which when we think of courage, we think of somebody standing up to fight. But in the Greek, it means the freedom to speak openly. 
without any kind of ambiguity, being frank, being bold and courageous in your speech. And so in this context, the the Holy Spirit fills the apostles and fills the church with great, great courage, which is very inspiring. It's the same word that's used of Jesus in John chapter 18 when he's on trial. And he says, I spoke openly to the world. I spoke plainly. I spoke courageously. I spoke boldly. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. It's the very same spirit in Jesus that the Holy Spirit now fills the early church. Three points tonight from this passage about courage. Number one, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Courage comes from the Holy Spirit. Secondly, courage changes our character. And lastly, it keeps us moving forward. Our text begins with the idea that it comes from the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, that's what the Bible says. Peter, in this context, in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins his sermon, which I think is his third sermon in the book of Acts. And then in verse 31, after the believers pray after this incident, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So it's, it's bookends where it's the Holy Spirit is the one that grants them courage. In addition, in verse 13, they saw the courage. That's the same word, the boldness. They saw the courage of Peter and John and recognized that they weren't really properly trained in the law. They weren't rabbis. They weren't educated in that, in that aspect. But they're so bold. And these guys took note of that. And they noted that they were connected to Jesus. Gesturing it, it's exactly what Jesus said would happen in Luke chapter 12. And he, he says this to his disciples when you're brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourselves. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to say. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are before the rulers, the authorities, trying to defend themselves. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks plainly about what took place. It's also what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 15. I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. Peter and John are preaching and the guy that's healed is hanging out with them. And it says they they couldn't say anything because they saw this guy had been miraculously healed. Many of you might be familiar with this term liquid courage. It's where you get a bit of alcohol in your system, you get a bit more courageous, one drink, two drink, three drinks, and the speech flows a little more freely, a little more boldly, a little more courageously, and the inhibitions lower, and and they tend to say things they normally wouldn't say without the influence of alcohol. Now, hopefully you haven't experienced that personally, unless it's prior to your conversion, but you've probably had, you've probably experienced this with somebody that's a little bit intoxicated, and they get a little bit more rowdy, and they get a little bit more bold in their speech, right? And if you think about it, there's no coincidence that bars are meeting points for guys and girls, because they get a little bit of alcohol and they, they've, because they don't, they don't really have 
the courage necessary to have genuine relationships. So they find themselves at the bar, a little drinks. Now they're a little more bold to talk to each other. It's not a coincidence that that's what happens at a bar. Because they're filling themselves with this liquid courage. And and it's not coincidence that when people have a bit too much to drink, that they often offend their friends. Why is that? Because... They've always wanted to say something to their friend, but they've been too afraid. Now they've got a little, little liquid courage in them. They say something that they had been wanting to say, and it comes off as offensive. But that, that's the whole point of this. They, they get courageous because of whatever they're drinking. And I don't, I don't think it's coincidence that in Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another this way. Because there's this connection of people get their inhibitions lowered, they, 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 they're more free in their speech. But the Bible says what gives you genuine courage is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's where it really comes from. Greater than any ability to speak from alcohol. And, and I don't think we need to go looking for courage. I just think, you know, if I want to be a courageous guy, let me just try harder to be courageous. But this passage teaches us that it comes from the Holy Spirit. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have access to this freedom to speak more boldly, more plainly, more openly. Because the Spirit lives inside of you. You don't have to manufacture it. It doesn't come from training. It doesn't come from teaching. Although all those things are helpful, okay? But the Holy Spirit gives you this type of boldness to speak plainly. To a lost world, without beating around the bush, without being ambiguous. It gives you that type of courage. And we need to align ourselves with that spirit so we can speak boldly and plainly to a lost world. Because courage comes from the spirit. Secondly, it changes our character. It does. I believe the Holy Spirit gives us courage and then courage changes our character. This trial that Peter and John are on is designed to intimidate. It's an intimidation tactic. Who are the characters? It's Annas and Caiaphas. Those are the same guys that convicted Jesus at his trial. And they, they sniff similar uprising with these, with these guys. And, and they're trying to intimidate them. And Annas is not technically the high priest, but he's like the Don Corleone. He's, he's the one still calling the shots. Five of his sons became high priests, one of his grandsons and one of his son-in-law. So he's kind of behind the scenes Still influencing. Caiaphas is actually the high priest. But he's still got a lot of influence. And he's, he's trying to clamp down on these guys. Because they're afraid of their own authority. Being threatened. By this Jesus. The captain of the guard is mentioned in the first few verses as well. Verse 1. The priest and the, capital of the captain of the temple guard. And the Sadducees. They come up to Peter. The captain of the temple guard isn't like you're a security mall cop. Okay, he's not like walking around saying, hey guys, take it easy. He, he's like the second in command. He's the guy in line for the high priesthood. So there's these intimidating characters. And it all takes place in front of the Sanhedrin, which is later on in this text. Now here's what this looks like. Number one is the high priest, okay, at the top. He, he's the guy presiding over the entire court scene. Number two, those are all the members of the Sanhedrin. 
the priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, some of the Pharisees are also involved. It's about 70 members. And these are guys that are formally trained in the law, and they're coming, and they're staring at number three, who's the defendant, which is Peter and John in this case. And then at the bottom of the screen, number four, you've got scribes that are stenographers. They're taking down all the notes from this trial. Alright, so if you picture this, there's Peter and John surrounded in this U-shape by 70 scholarly men whose sole purpose is to oversee violations of the temple. And they meet daily and they talk about these matters. And here's the same guy that sent Jesus to the cross as the high priest. And so it's not like, oh, come on in and tell us your story. It's you come in and shut your mouth. Because you're unschooled and you're ordinary. And we're trained and scholarly and you need to keep quiet. They're trying to squash this movement. This is like going in front of the Supreme Court of New Zealand and they're, and they're intimidating you to tell you how this happened. How did this guy get healed? How did you have this power? Who gave you this authority? Who did this? Who did? And, and they're trying to really squash these guys out. And then you see Peter stand up in verse 8 and he's filled with the Spirit and he preaches a pretty stern sermon to this intimidating crowd. This is awesome. The reason why this is powerful is, remember Peter in the garden when he's warming his hands by the fire, when Jesus is going to trial and it's a servant girl A little girl asked Peter, aren't you one of them? Oh, no, not me. I'm just just here hanging out. You know, he's scared of a girl. But here in the context of the Sanhedrin, he's preaching to this crowd of 70 trained scholars, the high priest, and he's saying pretty intense stuff. He's saying really intense stuff. In verse 10, he says, and you know what? You guys killed Jesus. You crucified Jesus. In verse 12, he says, no other name in heaven except Jesus works. I mean, that's a radical claim, especially in today's tolerant age. But Peter stands up and says, Jesus is the only way you can be saved. And then at the end of his sermon, he says, hey, you judge if I should obey you or God, because we can't stop talking and we're not going to stop talking. I mean, what a change in character from Peter being afraid to even mention he's associated with Jesus to now filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching boldly, openly and radically to this crowd. That's an intense change in character that comes from the Holy Spirit, filling him with courage, and the courage changed his character. You know, we've all probably been cowardly at some point, and, and there's probably a little bit of coward in all of us, but when the Spirit lives inside of you. you. You can be courageous. I think this has application all across our life stages. I remember being a teenager and at school, and I would be afraid to try to stand out. If you're a disciple of Jesus, and you're in the high schools, man, you have a spirit inside of you that lets you speak boldly and plainly and be courageous. Because everybody else is like the Sanhedrin trying to say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We're the cool ones. But you have a spirit living inside of you that says, no, actually, I'm the cool one. 
I'm the cool one. You know, we can be introverted, and some of us have introversion by nature, some more than others. But, you know, when you have the Spirit dwelling inside of you, that begins to change your character. And you learn how to be more bold. You learn how to be more plain. You learn how to be more confident. Or maybe some of us are conflict avoiders by nature. But, 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 but to be honest, that's inside of all of us at some level. This, this could have been a major conflict avoidance. Oh, I'm sorry, we won't talk anymore. Noted. Thank you, High Priest. Thank you, Sanhedrin. We'll be on our way. But he's filled with the Spirit. He says, no, I'm not going to avoid this. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. If you're a people pleaser, it's the same thing. The Spirit lives inside of you and begins to change your character. It's not about trying to change harder. It's about aligning yourself with the Holy Spirit and Him changing your character because the Spirit gives us courage. Lastly, tonight, the Spirit gives us courage that moves us forward. I love the response in verse 23 through 31. Peter and John come back and I mean, imagine this, you know, they come to a midweek service and we have our good news portion. We say, anybody want to share good news? And they stand and say, well, you know, we healed this lame guy. He was lame for 40 years, started jumping around and then we were put on trial and they told us not to talk anymore. We said, we're not going to listen to you. It was awesome. It's epic. Man, that's crazy. Here they are saying, they came back and they reported this in the church. They start praying. In verse 25, they, they come together and they start praying. And they say it's vain for these people to oppose us. That's pretty bold. Opposition comes and the church goes from 3,000 to 5,000. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. You get a little bit of discouragement and we can sulk. But this church, when they got persecuted and opposition came, they exploded to 5,000. And then at the end of the prayer, they basically say, give us more boldness, verse 29. You know, we're getting opposition. Make us more bold. And it's stunning. That's what happens in verse 31. As if they weren't filled enough, in verse 31, the, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if, as, as if the opposition rises, the Spirit says, I'll give you more. More opposition, more Spirit. More opposition, more Spirit. I got enough to go around, guys, and it's not going to stop coming. But it kept them moving forward. And, and their response is insightful. They don't come together and say, Oh, God, if Peter and John would have only been more tactful. If only they had been more thoughtful about how they spoke to the authorities. God, please help them. <laughs> please give them more tact. They, they don't say any of that, you know. They, they, if, uh, or... or if you, just would have, if you just would have left the part out about killing Jesus, guys, that was a bit harsh. Or you're a bit disrespectful. In, in the end of the sermon, when you said, we're not going to obey you, that probably wasn't the greatest thing. They're, they're, they're saying, God, give us more boldness. Make us more bold. Make us more clear. Make us more plain. Plus, their request to God is insightful as well. Give us more boldness and perform more signs. I find that inspiring and challenging and encouraging all at the same time. Not, oh God, please make them eat gravel like you hear in the Psalms. Please wipe out the enemies from our presence and let us march on. Remove all the drama and distractions. It's give us more boldness. 
so we can move forward. Uh, and they realize, I, I believe, that this is just the beginning of it. Because it's going to come. And it's going to come heavy for many, for many decades. And their prayer and, and, their and the response from God keeps them moving forward. And it's awesome. Whenever you get to use an illustration from a movie, you have to. And I recently saw Black Panther. <laughs> pretty epic, pretty awesome. But his suit made of vibranium. It's pretty awesome. It's not real material. Tyson, I know you're disappointed. But the cool thing about this is it absorbs any kind of physical attack. And if you've seen the movie, whenever he gets punched or hit or attacked, his, his suit kind of pulses. And it's this kinetic energy like charging up. And so he gets punched and, it, and it, he just kind of absorbs it. And then it, it kind of gives him more kinetic energy, like hits the ground and people go flying everywhere. I'm like, that's the kind of suit we need to wear to the Ronald McDonald house. <laughs> but it's, it's like... I don't think we should do that, but I, I, I do think that there's this idea, though, man, they're coming at it, and he's kind of absorbing it, and it's producing this kinetic energy, and then it keeps him moving forward in battle. And, and I believe that's what we see here in the early church. There's this opposition coming. The Sanhedrin is saying, don't preach anymore. Don't even talk in his name. Stop talking about Jesus. We're the ones trained, and they're absorbing it, and they're praying, and then you see it explode to 5,000. And that's even what it says, e even in here, the, the, verse 4. Even in the drama, many who heard the message believed, so the number of men grew to 5,000. Persecution, opposition, they absorb it, they explode. They keep moving forward. It doesn't discourage them. It doesn't distract them. It keeps them moving forward. That's, that's incredibly inspiring. I believe the, the Holy Spirit gives us all of this, this courage to absorb all of this. If you're on the mission field, if you're trying to help people, it can get extremely discouraging. You, maybe you meet people and they shun you or they pretend like they want to talk to you and they give you a fake number or they don't give you a number or whatever happens, that could be discouraging. But the Holy Spirit inside of you absorbs that, charges you up, you keep moving forward. Maybe you study the Bible with somebody, you get really close to them and they become your friend and you pour out your heart heart and you pour out your soul and you pour out everything you can and then they say I'm not really interested in follow Jesus and man that could be discouraging and that could be distracting but if the Holy Spirit's inside of us it, we could absorb that and I'm not saying it shouldn't be painful it is painful but we, we could absorb that the spirit inside of us gives us courage we, we keep moving forward and, and this can happen in Bible talks, this can happen in, in, in churches, this can happen as an individual, but, but when you keep moving forward, it prevents us from becoming cynical too. Because I think they could have said, you know, it, oh, we should have done it differently, but they, they absorbed it and they keep moving forward. It prevented them from being weary as well. Because man, that had to have been hard, preaching over and over with all this pressure coming down on them. But the Spirit kept them moving forward, it, it prevented them from becoming discouraged. They got together and they prayed and they said, let's do even better things. That's inspiring. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit calls all of us to do. Not only as individuals, but as a church. The Holy Spirit gave them the courage to store up all the opposition and move forward. Concluding tonight, these three ideas about courage, which I believe every person on the planet searches for. And they search for it continuously. And we see that the Spirit grants them this courage, and it doesn't stop here. They don't listen to the chief priest. Yeah. 
They keep preaching, and now they get arrested, and in chapter 5, it's all over again. Well, they're back on trial, basically. And so it wasn't a momentary courage. Just give me a moment of courage. It was, let's have a lifetime of courage. It was the type of courage everybody's searching for on Google. How can I be more courageous? Well, the only way is if you get the courage that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because that's the lifetime lasting change. And it changes our character. And it moves us forward. And let's all be filled with that spirit so we, as the Auckland Church, can speak the word of God more boldly. Amen.